to episode 102 of Coffee and Co-Read, your source for all things literary with Kristen and Catherine, where we believe there's nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for our virtual book club, where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hey, Kristen. Hi, Catherine. So today we're going to talk about, I guess, the act, the art (laughs) of loaning books um, and what it means to us. (laughs) So I guess the, the main question in it is like, do you loan books? Is there anybody like, do you just loan out books to anybody? It's a loaded question. (laughs) It is. Because I have loaned books. Mm Mm-hmm. With mixed results. Yeah. And I feel like maybe I'm still a little bit, like, iffy about it. Because, like, obviously, like, we're very passionate about our books. Mm-hmm. And we No want... shit. <laughs> <laughs> and we want people to fall in love with the books we love. Right? Yeah. So, like, we want to share them with people. Mm-hmm. However... Especially now in later years when, you know, I've really started tending and maybe paying a bit more attention to, like, my bookshelf and, like, having your matching covers for a thing. That's always been a thing for you. That hasn't always been a thing for me. Like, the aesthetic of your books. Mm Mm-hmm. So, bearing that in mind has sort of, like... I've still done it, but it sort of made me a little bit more hesitant to do it. Yeah, I get that. Right? And then on top of that, like, I've lent books that I have not yet gotten back, like. Yeah. Which is somewhat annoying, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're allowed to be annoyed by that. (laughs) Like, somebody, like, borrows your shit, like, give it back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, and then too, like, not all books exactly, but like some of my books have, um, you know, have meaning, right? Like they have mm-hmm. a sort of a special place in my heart. Like, so a friend of mine wanted to borrow Akatar. Mm-hmm. And I have two copies. So like, Theoretically, I could absolutely lend out a copy of Akatar and be fine. However, I've got a copy that's sort of my aesthetic copy, like the new, um, the new books. The purpley one? Yeah. Like the red, the, uh, teal and the purple covers. But then I also have... The OG. The OG. It is the OG, yeah. Yeah, the OG, like the OG ones. Yeah. So, like... Which, like, you shouldn't really lend those ones out because, like, nowadays, if you were to sell that cover, they're, like, 500 bucks and shit. Yeah. Like... So, like, they're my... They're the ones that, like, have meaning to me, right? Like, they're mm-hmm. they're the first books I bought from her that really got me into the series and, like, really sort of changed the way I feel about books, changed really my whole, like, the whole genre that I was into sort of, like, yeah. put me on the path of, like, a romanticy genre. So, like, 
written I by don't... female authors with badass female characters. Like, yes. it really, I agree. Like, she's the one that put me on that path, too. Yeah. So, like, I don't really want to lend those out either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, how do you tell someone, well, I have multiple copies of this book, but I don't really want to <laughs> give you either one. You know yeah. what I mean? A hundred percent. I just sort of, I I feel like, but then at the same time, I feel bad about being selfish with my books. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Because like you, what the book gave you, if that gets somebody else excited and into it, like obviously you want to give that to people. You, so that's what's so hard. Because like I'm, I'm pretty much the same as you the only difference is like if it's a book that I don't care about I'll lend it out and I'll be like if I need a copy of this book I'll buy a new one like <laughs> like I've lent you a few books and then just bought new ones <laughs> if yeah. I needed them because <laughs> like pretty sure I especially still have your Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief oh really I didn't even know that I thought I gave it to Lily. Um, Maybe you bought a second one. <laughs> and gave it to Lily. And gave it I think to I Lily. got the, those ones secondhand anyway, so it's fine. No, because I um, think oh, you, you oh, got yeah. it for me when I was in the hospital with my first child, I think. You brought yes. it in for me to read. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I was the same way with Akatar because I only have the one copy, but it is the OG covers. Yeah. So I had actually lent it to somebody and they read it. And they had it for maybe two years. The entire time we've done the podcast, they had it. So eventually Lily was like, can I borrow this? And when we did the podcast, I also have the Kindle and the audiobook. So it wasn't a big deal. I just read it and yes, whatever. Yeah. But Lily asked me to borrow it after. And I was like, sure. I need to get it from this person that has it. So I, I messaged her and I was like, hey... I told her Jeff I mean, wanted to read it because, like, I didn't want to be like, I want my 12-year-old niece wants my book. <laughs> Not that Akhtar isn't that bad, so I was, but no. I was just like, I don't want to start this conversation with somebody. But anyway, so I got it back, and then I was bringing it over to give it to Lily, and I was like, this is in pristine condition. Like, looks like it's never been read. So I texted Lily, and I was like, Lily, <laughs> this book is the OG cover, and you cannot get it anymore, and they're like $500 each, so I need you to be very careful with it. And, like, I felt a bit bad, but I'm like... And I do actually... I do have another copy of it, because I have the, like, the new collector edition that's, like, a hard cover-y one, whatever. Yeah. There's only Throne of Glass and Akatar out. I do have those ones, but, like, I'm never lending those to anyone. And I do have no. books that I'm, like... The... Iron Flame one, not Iron With Flame. With the sprayed the edges. Yeah, not Iron Flame, because I, I have lent that one out to a co-worker, and I don't have it back since before Christmas. <laughs> but I do have two copies of that book, because yeah. we we went and bought one in store, and I had pre-ordered it. Um, but both copies are literally lent out to people at the moment, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Is that true? Actually, no, I think I kept one at home, and I was like... I'm not lending one of these. But the fourth wing that has the chapters with Zayden's point of view, mm -hmm. I let Lily read them in my presence. 
but I would not let her take the book out of my house. <laughs> and I was like, you can take pictures of these chapters and have them on your phone, but nobody is borrowing this book. It is not leaving my house. <laughs> so I do have books that I will just literally just not let anybody borrow. Yeah. Well, but and for then the most like, part, you're okay with it. Yeah. Like, I, it also, like, I wouldn't mind, like, if I lent you a book, mm-hmm. I would feel confident in lending you a book. Yeah. Because then I know that if I actually lent you a book, and I wouldn't, it wouldn't matter to me which book it was, because I know I could, A, trust you enough to take mm-hmm. care of it. Yeah. Not dog ear the pages. Yeah. And two, I know that I could easily be like, hey, did you read that book yet? Can I have it back? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, like, I feel like when you lend books to other people, like, maybe that aren't as close, mm-hmm. it's sort of a little bit of, like, a, a sensitive topic of, like, can I have my stuff back, please? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. It feels weird to ask, and it really shouldn't. Like, we, yeah. we shouldn't feel so weird being, like, but it's definitely Getting a my thing. shit back. Yeah. It is a thing that I feel like everybody feels, but it's, like, why are we so <laughs> hesitant yeah. to be, like... Hey, you've had my shit for months. Can I have it back now? <laughs> yeah. And like, but like, not even just like the Akatar stuff, but like, I literally have books on my shelf right now that I got as like a teenager. Like, um, mm-hmm. Kelly Armstrong Bitten, that whole yeah. series is 13 books. Mm-hmm. And I have them. Yeah. And like, I don't know if they're original I don't know if they're first editions or not. Like, they're not going to be worth the same amount, obviously. But, yeah. like, I remember, I think I read up to, I think I got into it when there was, like, eight or nine books out. And so that means that, like, 10, 11, 12, 13, I was waiting for them to come out. So, like, yeah. those are definitely first editions. Yeah. And, like, I just, yeah, they're just, like, they're old. Like, I say old, but, like, those books are, like, 20 years old at this point. Yeah. So, like, do I really want to give out, like, a series of books that are old? You know what I mean? It's just sort of like... I do, yeah. Yeah. I get that. I... You lent them to me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I Um, have them... I have them back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think... Like, it depends on the book, and it depends on the person. But, like, if it's a book I love that I want you to read, I'll probably just buy you a copy or tell you to buy yourself a copy. (laughs) Because, like, for you, that's the way it is. And, like, Lily right now, half of her bookshelf is my books because she just borrows all my books. But it's, like, she's family. Like, yeah, it's fine. And you could easily just walk into her house, go to her bookshelf, and be like, I want this one back, I want this one back. I want yeah, one exactly. Back. Right? Like, and, like, I did that with Iron Flame. I went to her house, and it was on the table, and I was like, I took Iron Flame to give to my coworker, thanks. And I still literally have a copy downstairs that I'm like, nobody's reading this copy, because this one is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely, there's a lot to it. A lot more than I thought, actually. Yeah, we're getting into it yeah we're diving into it and i'm like oh my god do i have a a complex about this (laughs) yeah yeah i feel like it's almost like you can't expect people to treat books the way that you treat books because like somebody well 
Lily accidentally spilt a water bottle on my shadow and bone book. And I went over and like my mom was there too, which is like another like, why are you adding into this? Yeah. (laughs) But my mom was like, it's fine. Don't freak out. And I was like, hey, it's cool. Like, yeah. It happens. Accidents happen. Yeah. Exactly. And I was like, it was kind of like a new moment for me because normally I'd be like, holy shit. But I was like, I'll just buy a new one. It's not a big deal. It's like 15 bucks for that book. Yeah. Whatever. I was like, they were like drying it out or whatever. And like my mom thought I was going to lose my shit. But (laughs) it was, (laughs) it was more of a big deal to me when I was younger because I had the same collector's mentality for books and I didn't have money. (laughs) Whereas now I'm like, if it's a $15 book and an accident happens, but it's getting my niece to read books that I love and that like we can bond over, I'll spend another 15 bucks to buy a new one. And like, I think my sister bought me a new one anyway. Cause yeah. So like for, for her, I don't, I don't really care other than the actor, obviously the OG cover. I do care about that one. But like the, the gain of her reading books and us having even more in common and like bonding over that is so much more important than a book. So like, yeah. it, de- it really depends who you're lending it to. Cause I feel like that with you, like if you ruined one of my books, like, it's, it's laughable because it wouldn't happen. But an accident. Say an accident. Yeah. <laughs> it would be fine because of the, like, bonding that we get over books. Yeah. Whereas most people in my life, they're not as enthusiastic about books and they don't love them as much. So you don't get that connection that, like, me yeah. and you get. <laughs> I know. Just you saying that, though, reminds me of a time, like, years and years and years ago. And I don't even know if you remember it. And maybe you do because I've told you about it. But, like, I was going shopping or something after work. And you were coming on to work. And Mm. I had, like, my crappy work shoes. I didn't have any other shoes to wear. So I asked if I could borrow your sandals that you had on. Mm. And you were like, yeah, sure. So I borrowed them. And they were, like, like, almost like, um like Cleopatra sandals. Yeah. They were like the strap. They had like the strap that like wrapped around your your ankle and <laughs> I don't remember this at all. You don't remember this? <laughs> no. So I remember the sandal type. Like I've had a few sandals like that in my life. <laughs> yeah. So and I think they were not like expensive sandals. They were like 20 Ardeen. 25 bucks Definitely at like, like Ardeen or like yeah. Urban Planet or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And um so I wore them and me and my mom ended up like going shopping and we actually left them all went to went somewhere else so we were walking in the parking lot and i just stumbled and i scuffed the shoe and it was like mm. the top right at the edge and it was very visible mm. and i cuz they're lost... like cardboard like yeah yeah i like i lost my mind I was convinced I was like oh my god she's gonna hate me we're not gonna be friends anymore she's gonna be so mad that I literally had to go out we had to go to the village mall I I went I called the store and said do you have any more of these they didn't have any more in your size so we had to leave go to the village go to like the other mall 
go yeah. into the that store, get the shoes, and then I brought them back to you. I bought you a new pair of the shoe. But, like, I just remember being, like, freaking out, like, so hard yeah. that, and that's partly my anxiety, too. Like, Of course, yeah. Like, no, I completely understand. <laughs> I feel, I probably feel the same way, but, like, I, I literally did not remember that happening. And I honestly think I still have the shoes. I do, too! Yeah. Because I but, kept the scuff pair. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I my shoes that you probably bought the brand new pair that I still have, and they're scuffed. <laughs> yeah, because I scuffed them too. Because they're like cardboard. They're yeah. just so shitty. And they're so but, floppy. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That was like years ago. Oh yeah. No, this was like yeah. whew, way, way back. Way probably back. like fifteen, 15 years, years ago. Years ago, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But yeah, I know what you mean. It it really like when you borrow something and there's a lot of anxiety around it too. Like I almost don't like borrowing books from people. I would rather just buy it myself than borrow someone's book. Depending on the person. Yeah. And it's also like you borrow a book from somebody and then you're like, I'm not in the mood. And they're like, did you read the book that you, that I let you? And you're like, I don't feel like it. (laughs) (laughs) I know there's this pressure to like read it and get it over with so that you can give it back. And, like, some days you you just don't want to. Yeah. Like, I have some of Lily's books now, and almost every time she comes over, she's like, did you read it? And there's a book that she lent me that I was like, oh, I'll give it to Kristen after I read it so that she can read it. And then she's like, did you read it? Did you give it to Kristen? No. Neither. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, it's like a super fast read. It's a graphic novel um, of uh, the Darkling, like his past. So, like, it sounds super interesting. Have I read it? No. No. (laughs) But once I do, I'll lend it to you, and then we can give it back to Lily. (laughs) Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this was long. (laughs) We really got in it. (laughs) We got in the weeds. We did, yeah. So we're just going (laughs) to jump right in, just a heads up. Not a spoiler-free zone. Things could get saucy, but they won't, because it's a YA book. Yes. Um, so this week is week two with Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. Uh, this week we are reading chapters 13 to 24. Uh, so last week we met our main characters, Iris and, um, Roman. I forgot to. (laughs) No, because I always assume, I always go for Rowan. Ah, right. Aww. Yeah, I I didn't even think of that, but I love so, it. So, <laughs> like the first week when I was taking notes, I actually typed him Rowan a few times, and I was like, I love That's it. It's not his name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, so Iris and Roman. Iris is uh, down on her luck. Sort of talented writer. Her brother is off to war. Uh, she is trying to get a columnist. Uh, job at uh, the newspaper her mom is an alcoholic her life is terrible they have no money then Roman is there and he is the exact opposite both of his parents exist they live in this snazzy old mansion uh, but his life is not all rosy because his dad is an asshole and has arranged a marriage 
for her. Him. Arranged a marriage for him. That he doesn't want to go through with. Uh, and anyway, they chat through a mad, through like they met some form of magic sends letters to each other by tossing them underneath a, do- a door, we'll say. Uh, the last thing we read last week was that Iris's mother died, which was sad. Uh, and even though her and, well, even though she doesn't know who Roman is, she wrote him a letter, like, talking about how upset she was. And he knows who she is and wrote something back to her. So, it was all p- very poignant. Because it wasn't yeah. very happy, but it was poignant. So, um, Iris is now going back to work the next day. So she took one day off for her mother's death. Didn't tell anybody that her mother had died, except for this quote-unquote mystery person that is actually Roman. But um, she didn't even say, my mom died. She was just like, everybody no. leaves me. I'm so sad. Yeah. Like, she she didn't say, yes, hey, she didn't somebody come died. She said she lost someone close to her. Yeah. Is what she said. Yeah. And then said, but like, But she wasn't like, hey, yeah, my mother. Hey, stranger, is, my mother died. died. I'm sad. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, I would have. I would have been like, I would have explained it all. <laughs> Zero filter. I'd be like, but I'd also tell everybody. I would tell fucking everybody. And I would not go to work. Ever again. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, she doesn't want to tell anybody, so she literally takes one day off and just tells everyone that she was sick, essentially. Um, And, like, she goes to work, she's trying to act normal, but, like, she feels like her life has irrevocably changed. Which, like, which, obviously, your mother is dead. Yeah. But she says that, like, when Roman comes into the office, she can feel it. Like, there's a cord tied between them. So I'm like, like, is this magic? Like, mm. what is... Yes! What is everything? Anyway, so yeah. So, like, there... I feel like there's this, like, magical link between them. And, like, she is delusional for, like, not thinking that there are feelings. Hmm. Because in the last... In last week's episode, like, the editor girl was like, oh, I'm sorry that Roman's engaged. And she's like, why? And she was like... Sarah's like, oh, because I thought you guys would be a good couple, and a lot of the editors thought so too, and, like, he's looked at you before, and she's like, no way, he wouldn't notice me, and it's like, it's just like, girl, come on. Yeah. Anyway, so she, like, tries to ignore him, but he comes over to her desk and, like, just tells her that she looks better today, which, like, is that a compliment? No, like, this is why I, I, I want to be in his head when he's doing this shit. Because I'm like, why did you think that was a smart thing to say? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. obviously she looks better today. Yesterday she was losing her fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, also, he was annoyed that he went to her house and thought she maybe had a dude over. And he was annoyed about it. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I don't Wild. know. Anyway, he gets angry at her then. Like, not actively angry, but sort of, like, annoyed angry uh, for not telling anyone that she was feeling sick. Because, obviously, people were worried for her, but she was like, it's none of your business. 
and that obviously like in this office the only thing people care about is getting the classifieds done like no one cares about me yeah so you know it's sort of a woe is me i really thought that sarah was gonna know like she handed her a thing she reads it and runs out of the office you'd think that sarah could have put two and two together She's not maybe an investigative journalist, I guess. But I was going to say, maybe that's the real reason why she can't work at the museum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair. Uh, anyway, like, she says, so like, she's thinking to herself that she doesn't want him to be any more caring, like, to display, hmm. like, as if he cares about her, because she's, like, about to crack, and she mm-hmm. doesn't, like, I guess, by getting any sort of attention or affection, it's going to make her cry. Um, and she also doesn't, like, she doesn't want his pity, which is sort of her big motivating factor on why she keeps everything to herself. She doesn't want people to pity her. And but he, like, he also said <clears throat> yes. the only reason she'd get the job was because of pity. So, like, you can get where she's coming from with this issue. But, like, it's not just with him, though. It's with everybody. Yeah, yeah. I can't um, imagine not telling my work. <laughs> yeah, like because like you, ed- you're yeah, you're a space case. Like when somebody dies, who is that integral in your life? Like they live together. She's in shock still. Like you wouldn't be able to work. I just I, I wild. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so he she she just sort of says to him like, "Why do you even care?" Like. If I'm out of the way, you'll get, like, everything you want. So it's sort of like, dude, like, <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so he doesn't say anything to that because, like, what can he say? Hmm. Um. But then Zeb, the editor-in-chief, uh, calls her into the office and asks for her essay because he was like, here's a chance to write an essay so that you guys are on equal footing. Um, anyway, so she's like, I I don't have it because like, when did she get a chance to write it? Yeah. Um, and he just says that like he's disappointed in her and she's like about to tell him about her mom, but she doesn't want to show the emotion. So she just like takes the lashing and goes back to her desk. Um, and she just writes the obituaries and she actually writes one for her mother and submits them before going home. Hmm. Um, next morning, obviously she's late for work and finds Zeb waiting behind her desk. He brings her into his office for a meeting and Roman is already there. So this is sort of our, oh, who got the promotion moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and... He is revealing who got the promotion, and he shows both of them Roman's article on missing soldiers that Iris actually helped him write. And Zeb actually says this was, like, the best thing he's ever written. And it's sort of like, because, because she helped, she helped him. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so, long story short, obviously, Roman got the promotion. Yeah. 
Uh, and surprisingly, though, he actually asks for another chance for both of them to write another essay before Zeb's decides. So he's mm-hmm. essentially, like, giving up this promotion um, and saying, like, hold on now, before you make your decision, let us each write one more article for you. And Zeb asks, like, dude, why? Like, why do you want to mm-hmm. give this up? And he actually then says, in front of Iris, that Iris's mother died, and that's why, she, and she's been grieving, and that's why she's, like, so off. Yeah. So, she's, like, he's he said, he was, like, I have an unfair advantage at this point. Yeah. And she is, like, shocked. She's, like, shocked right now, and asks, like, how do you know that? And he just <laughs> said he read the obituaries. And she is, like, legit shocked that he said that because she's like, no one reads the obituaries. But he did. He reads everything she writes. Yeah. It's so sweet. It is. Anyway. So Zeb feels bad and offers Iris a few days off for bereavement. But he says, like, his mind is made up. So Roman is getting the column. And, like... I don't know. I sort of get where he's coming from as a as a boss. Like Roman does seem like a little bit more um reliable at this point. Well, and he even said last week that like her articles were weren't as good as they were before. Like and yeah. he asked her, "Is there anything going on at home?" Like he was trying in his own way to be like supportive or whatever. But yeah, you know yeah um iris like she doesn't really want the days off because obviously if she's home doing nothing then she's just surrounded with like memories of her mother mm-hmm. but she also doesn't really want to stay at the gazette because to like write obituaries yeah she's essentially writing like obituaries and like um like engagement notices and that sort of thing and that's not really mm-hmm. what she wants to do either um so what she really wants to do is go find her brother. Like, that's her only family left. She needs to go find him. Mm-hmm. So she resigns from the Gazette. She says, thanks, Zeb, but I'm going to turn in my resignation. And Zeb is a little bit of an ass about it. Yeah. And he just says, fine, I don't need you anymore. Like, but if you leave, don't expect to ever get hired back again. Yeah. Which is just sort of like, dude, like you literally just found out her mother died and now you're going to be an asshole? Yeah. I, like, I don't know. Because the other part, I have two minds of it. Because I'm like, the other part of me is like, I would have been like, oh, hell, maybe you should take a few days to decide. Like, you know what I mean? But she was very, her mind was very made up. Like, obviously we're into her head in the moment. So it's like. She was never going to not quit at this point. So I don't really know, not what else he could have done, but like, kind of. But yeah, he didn't have to be a dick. And like, he's kind of a dick throughout this whole part. Like, I don't disagree with what he's saying in a lot of it. And like, I don't disagree with him choosing Roman or anything, especially if they're like, basically equal writers. And then she's not producing as good stuff and he's producing really good stuff. Like, obviously. Yeah. So, I don't know. And, like, I will say, too, that I I sort of 
I don't like his asshole behavior, but I also mm. do sort of get, I, I get him being a little bit salty, like, about her quitting. So, like, you know, he gave her, he did give her a bunch of opportunities to write and made a decision about the promotion, and it's like, she's not getting her way, so she's quitting. You know what yes. I mean? Like, I know that that's not what's happening because we're in her head. So, like, I know that that's not what's happening, but obviously he's not in her head. But if I were her, I would do the same thing. Like, if I were in a job and <clears throat> I was passed over for a promotion and then had to do something that is, like... Menial. Yeah, so beneath what you're capable of and I'm assuming paid less and just not what you have any passion for and also like after somebody dying writing the obituaries is probably not gonna make you feel better (laughs) so like I I probably would have also quit if like they were like you're not getting your dream job unless I guess if there was like Oh, there might be an op- opportunity in the future or whatever, but like, yeah. there's there's nothing left for her here, yeah. Which we only know because we're in her head. So, yeah, yeah. <sighs> anyway, so Zeb's uh, Zeb's like attitude aside, um, she's like, "Thank you very much." She shakes Roman's hand to offer him congratulations, and they have like a static shock. At each other's touch, which of course they did. Um, and Roman is sort of trying to protest the whole thing and like try to protest to Zeb to be like, wait, what, what's happening? Like, don't yeah. let, don't let this happen. And Iris is just like, peace out. And she just like clears out her desk and leaves. Um, yeah. she really is, he really is, sorry, like the voice of, hey, maybe you should take a day to think about this before you just quit on the spot. Yeah. Uh, so she tells Sarah that she quit, and Zeb actually comes out, hands her her last paycheck, um, and Roman is waiting by the door, and he doesn't want her to quit, but she's like, no, I'm, I'm quitting. And he calls her Iris and asks her not to go. So, like, he's sort of opening himself up here a little bit. Because, like, normally he calls, they call each other by their last names, so for him to call her iris is sort of like a big step yeah um anyway so yeah asking her not to go he's really like opening himself up and being vulnerable to her but she's cold to him because i guess she doesn't really want to like open that can yeah uh so he just steps aside and he lets her leave so she leaves the gazette goes right to the undertaker and has her mother cremated and then comes back to her house. Like, and it's like a one sentence in the thing. Oh yeah, I went to the undertaker. My mother got cremated and then I came home. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just very like, oh, okay, that (laughs) happened. Yeah. Um, and then she wrote a letter to like her mystery person, AKA Roman 
to tell him that she was leaving so they wouldn't be able to talk anymore. Because yeah. she is under the assumption that the magic is in the the closet. Yeah. Which you just Valid assumption. Yeah. Um so her plan, obviously, we could see it a mile away, was <laughs> to leave Oath and ask the ink-ridden Tribune, which is the rival newspaper to the Gazette, to make her a war correspondent. And if they said no, then she would volunteer with the war effort to go and try and find her brother. So she sent the message through the portal, and then she fell asleep. And when she woke up in the middle of the night, he actually wrote her back. And asked where she was going, but she didn't answer. She says she didn't want to tell him what part of the world she was in. Yeah. Uh, so she tries to sleep, but like she's just feeling all kinds of guilty that she didn't go out looking for her mother that night. So like she got home, her mother wasn't there, and she was like, oh, she's probably just at the clubs, and then went to sleep. And then the next morning when she went to work... Her mother wasn't out, so she just thought she was in her room. So mm-hmm. it just sort of like she's feeling all kinds of guilt that she didn't do what she quote unquote thinks she should have done. Yeah. Uh so she gets up at dawn and there's another note sent through the portal. Uh she packs only her important things, including his letters, and a locket that belonged to her mother. Takes her mother's ashes and her typewriter. So she doesn't open the letter that Roman sent her because she thought it would end with him trying to convince her not to go. So she just doesn't read it. And I'm like, why? I, I want you I'm to like, read just take it. take it with you. Yeah. And also, we do get it later. And it's awful. I hate it. <laughs> I also hate it. Um... So, that is the end of part one of the book. Uh, And then we get into part two, which is called News from Afar. And this, the book really takes a turn at this point, right? It, like, really gets, it really gets, it really switches it up and becomes something completely different. Yeah, I, I didn't really know where it was going. Like, we could tell, obviously, that she was going to take try to take this job once she saw the flyer, and then, but I was like, wait a second, they're not going to be near each other now. This is the story. I know. Unfold. I was genuinely like nervous. Oh my god, she's going to leave. Are they just going to talk through letters this entire book? Like, yeah. are they not going to be together, like in the same space? And I really didn't want that to happen. <laughs> Anyway, so we start with Roman's point of view. He's in the office, like the newspaper office, um, and he doesn't feel fulfilled as he thought he would. Like, he's a columnist now. Like, that's his job. He got the promotion Mm -hmm. that he wanted, but he doesn't, like, it doesn't feel as fulfilling as he expected. Um, and yeah. he, he thinks to himself that the, the office is quiet and an editor pops by and mentions that it isn't the same without her here. <laughs> hmm. And doesn't he just say like, who? 
<laughs> yeah. He tries he, he tries real hard to like keep face and it's like just admit it, man. Like, come on. But it's also like it's so much more obvious if yeah. you like if you're saying it that way that it would be to just be like, yeah, it's different. <laughs> it's like you're right, stranger. Um, so he goes home and he's resolved to speak to his father um, and try and get out of this marriage thing with um, Eleanor Littlefoot. So he goes to his father's office and he calmly tells him he doesn't want to marry Eleanor. And he sort of argues like, I've done what you wanted in terms of a career. I He wanted to study literature at the university. But instead, he got the columnist job. So he was like, I've done what you've asked me to do. Now you should let me marry who I want to marry. And his dad then asks if this is because of the girl at the paper. So he obviously knows about Iris. And Roman figures out that his dad has actually been having him followed and reporting back. (laughs) Which is just sort of out of left field. Yeah. And it, it just, like, surprised me, like, I, I don't know, it just sort of went from his dad being a little bit controlling to, like, shit, his dad is having him followed? Yeah, it 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 was a turn. It definitely was a turn. And I was like, why? Yeah. Like, having to, I just can't imagine having to pay somebody to follow your son. Like, you have too much money. Yeah. Anyway, so... He, his dad essentially tells him that he can marry Eleanor and then he can screw Iris as all he wants as long as he doesn't have quote unquote pups with her so that his grandchildren's blood won't be sullied. Real peach of a, of a, of a man. Yeah. Yeah. Real great, great dude. Yeah. And I feel like this is a common in this like, and I know it's common in a lot of books about this whole, like, marry who I want you to marry and then you can have has, have sex with whoever you want. Yeah. Um, the dad also has all these, like, crates in his office and tells his son that, essentially tells Roman that these crates are going to secure his future. And I think Roman, like, asks, like, why am I, why are you marrying me off to the littles? Like, they're not an amazing standing family. So, like, no. why? And it's, yeah, because, like, we assume that it's all about status, but he's, like, it's not, she's not high status. Like, marrying her is not going to change who they associate with. So, what's the point? Yeah. Um. So, the dad tells him that the crates are going to secure their future, and inside are special bombs that the Littles have created. And essentially, the dad knows that Dacre is going to get to Oath eventually. And the plan is to use those bombs in support of Dacre. And then Dacre will make them nobles. It's just such a convoluted plan. Like, one, assuming that Dacre is going to get to Oath at all mm-hmm. and two that Dacre is going to like reward them by making them nobles is just like you don't know how that god's gonna react 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's also just like, I don't know. It's, it, it, it is just so convoluted, like you said. I just don't really get his plan. And, like, make them nobles. Like, if he's destroying everything and everyone to make Enva come to him, like, who's to say there's going to be le- anything left for you to be a noble of? Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, these are bombs. <laughs> if he's going to bomb your town, what what's going to be left for you to rule over? I just, yeah. And, like, he's just so casually talking about, like, killing people yeah he's the real villain of the book (laughs) yeah anyway so roman essentially tells his dad that he's not going to be a part of this but he tells his son like no you will and essentially makes him feel guilty for his sister and like how it's his fault that her sister is not alive anymore and like you're my last heir you're the only heir i have so you're gonna do what i tell you to yeah and Roman really has no response to that. He just goes to his room and he hides Iris's letters under a loose floorboard. And his reasoning is that he couldn't protect Dell, but he would protect Iris from his father. And he doesn't want him to discover anything else about her. But like, what else is there to know? Yeah. Like I he already knows. Talking. I don't know. Like, yeah, just. But what, what is it? He knows that she's gone too. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, it just seemed a little bit like, I need to protect her. And it's like, protect her from what, dude? Your dad, like, saying, ah, you're not good enough. And also, like, his dad was like, cool, you can fuck her on the side, just marry the person I want you to. So, like, it's not even like, yeah, he doesn't even care. (sighs) Yep. Uh, anyway, so... Back to Iris's point of view. So she goes to the Ink Ridden Tribune's office. And she says it's like, it's really small. and They don't have a huge staff. But like, the energy was different than at the Gazette. She says it felt like electric and full of passion. So this is really where she should be. Yeah. Right? Uh, so she goes to meet the head editor. And the woman makes an interesting comment about how they're two applicants in one day for the like correspondent war correspondent thing which i didn't think was just gonna turn out the way it did i was like i know it's roman (laughs) i yes i was like oh my god roman got to it before her um she asks why she should send iris and iris actually says that she wants her words to matter and that she finds it admirable that the tribune is actually reporting on important things and that, plus the fact that she quit the Gazette, convinces the um, the editor to hire her. So she takes her to sign the paperwork and gives her some supplies. Uh, there were two jumpsuits, some food rations, um, and that's it. <laughs> My sentence. My sentence finishes on an and. <laughs> finish my time uh anyway so there are a couple of jumpsuits some food rations you know some other minor things uh and then she sees uh iris's typewriter and it's like oh can i look at your typewriter so she says okay and she sees that it's an alouette 
and that there were only three of them. And she actually knows the story. So she tells Iris, she was like, do you know what you have here? And she's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So she tells her the story of the Alouette and says there were only three of these typewriters ever made. Uh, and said that decades ago, a man named Richard Stone had a daughter named Alouette. And apparently she was his pride and joy. And she loved to write, but she fell ill with tuberculosis when she was 15. So apparently that meant her two friends couldn't visit her anymore. I guess is tuberculosis like catchy? I, I, I would assume, but I, I don't really know a lot about it. I don't either. Vaccines, folks. so uh her two best friends like couldn't visit anymore so her dad had the typewriters made in like a magical house by a magical man and gave one to his daughter alouette and then gave one to each of her two best friends so they could all talk to each other every day uh and when she died a year later the dad donated her typewriter to the museum with a few of the letters and the other two typewriters stayed with the best friends so her grandmother was one of those friends so we're sort of getting the hint now that maybe it's not the closet that's magic and making the letters go maybe it's the typewriter yeah also, tuberculosis is infectious. Yes. Oh, okay. Great. I mean, not great. No one wants tuberculosis. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> essentially, the editor-in-chief, her name is Helena, tells her that she could sell the typewriter to the museum um, and get, like, a good amount of money for it because the museum would, like, love to have a set and be able to, like, show the magic aspect of, um, mm-hmm. of it. But she's like, no, it's my grandmother's. I'm taking it with me. Uh, So the woman says, you're going to this town called Avalon Bluff. It's 600 kilometers away from Oath. And you're going to stay at a and b run by uh, this woman named Marisol Torres. And she asks what name she wants to write under. And she's like, I'll just write under Iris Winnow. And Helena's like, nah, I can come up with something better for you. I don't really get it. Like, why? Because, like, the other person writes under their name. I don't, do they, though? Yeah. I thought they had, like, a, I thought they had a nickname. I don't think so, because her whole point is that, like, her name's going to be in the paper and she can. Anyway, we'll see when we get there. But I, I, I was pretty sure that she just writes under her own name. Well, we'll see. Um, anyway, so after that, like, we sort of jump to Iris on a train, uh, traveling to Avalon, Bu- uh, Avalon Bluff. She literally signed the paperwork, took the stuff, gone. And she's never traveled from Oath. So, like, she's nervous, but she's really excited. And she thinks about that last letter that she left on the floor and thinks of the writer like the writer that she's been talking to she's like i wonder what he looks like and i think there's been there were a little like a couple of moments when she was like i wonder if he's like an 80 year old man (laughs) yeah like (laughs) she's sort of i guess she's experiencing feelings for this person but has no idea 
anything about them. So like, you know, just sort of a little bit like wondering if her feelings should exist. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so the the train stopped before she could sort of finish, like, follow through with her thoughts. Um, but, like, they aren't there. They sort of stopped in the middle of nowhere. And Iris is like, what is going on? Fair. And she hears a conductor tell another passenger that they'll move again when it gets dark. And this passenger comes to her compartment and asks to sit. And she's actually wearing the same, like, jumpsuit uniform. And she's got a press tag. So this is actually the other person when the editor, Helena, said, oh, two applicants in one day. This mm-hmm. is the other applicant. Uh, and her name is Thea Atwood, but everyone calls her Addie. Um, and they just get to talking, and she says that she joined as a war correspondent because somebody she respected told her she would never be published. So she felt the need to prove that person wrong. And, like, should you respect them if they say that to you? Yeah. Like, that seems a That's bit fair. shady. Like, some, like, imagine me being like, listen, I love you, <laughs> we're friends, but you shouldn't do what you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just not nice. No, but I feel like if you said it to me, it would be, like, in a loving, like, please stop this destructive behavior. You know what I mean? Like if if you actually were to say something like that, but like, this is not a case where that is even applicable. It's just like somebody's being shitty. (laughs) It's like, Oh, you're, you're just not good enough, sweetie. It like, that's what it, it's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's It's like one of those things. And it's like, girl, if they don't respect you, then like you should not respect them. Yeah. Just saying. Like, your friends and your family, they should lift you up. Yeah. Like, if it was something serious, like a drinking problem or, like, a drug addiction or yeah. something that is, like, destructive, like you said, then yes, absolutely, like, it's not the same. But, like, she's just writing. She just wants a career yeah. as a writer. Anyway. Yeah, I... It's, it's odd. Yeah. I... When I read her, I instantly liked her. Like me too. I was, but I like I'm so mistrusting of everybody that I was just like, "What's she gonna do?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, I thought she'd be a backstabbing whore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but as of right now, I like her. She's spunky. She wants adventure. Like she's like kind of. I'm not gonna say the opposite of Iris because Iris is not not those things. Like, she's not, I can't say that she doesn't want to venture, because she kind of does, and I can't say she's not spunky, although she doesn't seem to be super duper, but, like, it's not that they're the antithesis of each other, but, like, she is so outgoing and over where Iris is sort of reserved. Yeah. So, anyway. They pull into town around 1030 at night, uh, and the town is, like, dead. There are no lights. There's no one around. Then they're like, did some, like, did, did we, did we do something? Like, is there something yeah. going on? Um, but they find the B&B and Marisol seems like a really nice woman around 30-ish and like ushers them into her house, makes them some food. Um, 
sort of like portrayed as like a mother character, even though like she's mm-hmm. our age. <laughs> Yeah, I and know. like she's very like motherly and like I'll take care of you, and I'm like that's not me. Like yes, I have kids and yes, I take care of them, but like I'm not just gonna like to like nineteen twenty year old people off the street and be like oh let me make you some soup. No. Yeah. Anyway, um, so she is cooking them a snack by candlelight. Even though, like, they ask her, like, do you have electricity? And she's like, oh, yeah, no, we do. But they're close to the front. They're only about 80 kilometers from, like, the front. Hmm. Which is very close. Like, think about that. If you're going on a highway. Yeah. You could get there in, like, 45 minutes. Yeah. Which is close. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Anyway, so we actually finally, like, we sort of get a confirmation that Iris is 18 um, and Addie is 20. And after they, uh, after Marisol cooks and they chat for a bit, Marisol tells them, like, sort of the rules of the town. So there are three different sirens uh, in Avalon's bluff that you need to worry about. So when there's a siren sounding continuously throughout the night, like a blaring like me, um, you have three minutes to get inside, turn off all your lights and board up your windows because the hounds are coming and they will kill anything that is in their path that lives. And this is sort of a callback to the story of Dacre and Emba that, Roman told um, Iris because he talks about how first thing he got were his hounds to go looking. Second thing he got were his um, ethrals. Ethrals, right. So these are the hounds. So one steady siren at night. You have three minutes. Get inside the house. Board everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said that the, the hounds have not killed any, they haven't had any deaths in the town um, because of this siren and the town, like, they all have a curfew. They have to be home and inside by sunset. The next siren is one that sounds continuously throughout the day. That means ethrals are coming. So you have two minutes to take cover, get inside, cover the windows, and don't move. Or lie down in the street and don't move. You just, whatever you do, you can't move. Yeah. Um, but they carry bombs in their talons and they'll drop, if they see something move, they'll drop it. Mm-hmm. And the last one is a siren that will like wail intermittently. So it'll go beep, beep, beep. Um, and that can happen at any time, day or night. That means the soldiers have retreated and the town can't be defended, so you have to evacuate. Obviously, that one they haven't had yet because they're all still in the town. Yeah. And Marisol directs them to go bags with water and non-perishables and matches in the pantry. So, like, when they hear that siren, they just grab their go bags and they evacuate. Um, And we learn that the siren is actually coming from a nearby town. And it was used as, like, a weather reporter thing but it's been Mm -hmm. repurposed and i guess they're higher up 
and maybe closer so they can sort of have an advance warning. Um, Iris notices that, like, Marisol is wearing a ring and sort of like she was married, but there's no one else living in the house. Mm. Um, it's just something she noticed. So in the morning, the plan is to make meals for the wounded soldiers and for them to, like, start their research around town. So Iris can't sleep, even though she's exhausted. And she thinks about the typewriter and if she can write to her friend. So she decides to try. So she tells him she's 600 kilometers from Oath. And her theory is that something else is connecting them, a.k.a. the typewriter. And she asks for a favor. She wants him to look for the end of the story he sent her about Dacre and Emba. So the end, so the last we heard about that story, um, Dacre took Enva underground to rule with him and live with him. And that's the end of what we had. So she wants him to look for the, for the other half. And I thought this would be a bigger plot point than it was. Like, of him looking for the story. Oh, of him, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, anyway, so she shoves it under the wardrobe door, and it actually disappears. And he responds two minutes later. He's super shocked and worried, like, that she went to war. Because I guess he maybe connected the dots. And he's like, oh my god, did you sign up to, like, fight? And she's like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm a war correspondent. And she says that she's doing her best to survive the grief of her mother. And so then he responds again that he will do his best to find the rest of the story for her. Um, The next morning, they go to the infirmary and talk to some soldiers. Uh, And Iris actually finds a girl in bed playing cards named Prairie. Again, I really thought she would have a bigger... Yeah. Like, you give them names, and I feel like they are going to have bigger parts than they do. Yeah. Um, so they play a couple of hands of cards together, and Prairie tells her, like, she doesn't speak to reporters. And Iris is like, that's fine. Um, and asks, I guess she's thinking of her brother in this moment, and says, is there a way to find a soldier and where they're stationed? Or if they were injured? But... All she has is his name. She doesn't have his, any information on his battalion or platoon number. So, like, it's really going to be almost impossible to find someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, uh, but I guess Prairie gives her the name of somebody she can contact and asks yeah. for a favor in return. She asks if Iris will write a letter to her sister for her. So Iris is like, sure. So she, like, dictates a letter for her. Uh, And then she goes to a bunch of other soldiers and offers them the same thing. And, like, which is, like, so nice of her. But I was like, when are you going to write your fucking story? This is your job. What are you doing? (laughs) But I also, I also do feel like she could take this and turn it into a story. Yeah. You know what I I mean? I was just like. I was worried for her job because I was like, you're not doing what you should be doing. Well, I guess too, like, what's the requirement? You know what I mean? Like, like, does she have a certain quota of stories that she has to reach either per week or per month? Like, is she expected to send something every day? Like, you know what I mean? It's just sort of, we don't know. 
But yeah. I, I totally think she could turn this, like, thing into a story of, like, people just wanting to contact their homes and, like, without including names and stuff like that. But I also think it's really smart gameplay for her because she's not going around asking them, like, oh, how was the how was the front lines? Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Why are they going to want to talk about that? They're probably traumatized for that. Yeah, and like, that's, yeah. why would they talk to her? She's a stranger. She literally just showed up. So like, I get them not wanting to talk to her. So I sort of appreciate that she realizes, shit, they probably don't want to talk to me about that. And so she's trying to like, make a, like get a rapport with them first. Anyway, so I I really appreciate her idea. So she stresses about Forrest, obviously, because he promised her, she's like writing all these letters for these wounded soldiers. And Forrest promised to write to her, but he didn't so she's really worried at this point that he is no longer alive yeah fair um so she writes a letter um to send to the office that um prairie sort of mentioned to her to send it to uh and she's asking like if anyone can find out where her brother is stationed as she is his last surviving relative uh but as so that's sort of where we're ending off that chapter is her writing this letter to send to try and figure out what happened to her brother. Yeah. Um, so I guess when she was taking or people were dictating stories to her, she was just writing them in her notebook. Notebook. Yeah. So that night she basically spends the whole evening typing up the letters so that she can send them, which was kind of like, I was like, just just send the handwritten ones. I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) But anyway, she's maybe she's, she's got nice. really messy handwriting. Maybe, but I was like, you don't really need to type this up. You should probably be working on your article. I was very worried about her job. <laughs> but like, also too, like she talks all the time about like having enough of ink ribbons and enough paper and stuff. So she is wasting her resources right now that she should be sending working using for her work, and she's instead, which is it's yeah. a nice thing to do. I'll say that. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just couldn't get that out of my head. Um, so yeah, she spends her evening doing that, and she also gets a letter, obviously we know from Roman, but she doesn't, and it has the rest of the myth. Um, he says he got it from his nan, which, like, I want more from his nan. She seems cool. I know! <laughs> Um, so going straight into the myth, uh, we ended off, um, Emva agreed to go below with Dacre so that he would stop killing people, basically. Um, so she goes below, but she isn't happy, and Dacre knows that, and he tries to help and asks her to play for his court. And she played many songs, and, like, she's a god of music so obviously they had many feelings about the many songs and they cried and they smiled and when she played a lullaby they all fell asleep and Mm -hmm. she wandered while they were sleeping she wandered in the underworld and like figured out where everything was and memorized the pathways um eventually obviously dacre woke up and he called for enva thinking that she had left but she told him she only woke a few minutes before him. 
and she was beautiful, and he trusted her. Why? I don't know, but, you know. I know, like, I don't don't understand why he trusted her so much. And also, I don't understand, like, (sighs) so much about his motivation. Like, he was literally bored because he's immortal, so decided to take a skyward person and wanted the most beloved one. And then what? Like, he said that he was underwhelmed by her presence when he first met her. He didn't even think she was a goddess. And now all of a sudden he's in love with her and he trusts her? Yeah. And he's also, like, trying to make her life better down there. And, like, he seems like he actually does have for real feelings. And you're like, when did this happen? What the fuck is going on? Yeah, I don't Why did he do that? Yeah. Anyway, so he has feelings. (laughs) But a week later, um, she plays for them again. And she played the lullaby twice as long. And the court slept for six days. And he called Enva, but she did go above this time. So he brings his court to find her, but the Skyward army was waiting for him. And the battle was bloody and long, and Enva shot Dacre in the shoulder um, with an arrow, and he ended up retreating, and he blocked all the passageways into the underworld, because she knew where they were, and plotted his revenge. Um... He couldn't beat the Skyward, so he terrorized the mortals instead. But Enva returned, and I guess because she knew how to get down there and he didn't block all the passageways, even though he said he... whatever. Um, But two centuries later is when she went down again, and she made him and his court sleep for a hundred years. Yikes. And... This is kind of like, like, it's obviously a myth that they're telling. So, like, this is where people are like, some say she did put them to sleep for a hundred years, and some say she couldn't sing long enough to keep them asleep for that long. So, like, there's some, whatever the word is. Yeah, like normal myth stuff. Like, no one can agree on what the right one is. Yeah. There's some inconsistencies there. So it's just interesting. Um, So Iris kind of wonders if their history had it wrong, if the humans weren't the one to defeat the gods by tricking them into drinking a potion, but if Enva had been the one who put them all to sleep all along. And I'm like, damn, she's smart. (laughs) Yeah. She's putting shit together. (laughs) But she can't put together who's sending her letters. Um, So yeah. She kind of thinks, like, it. Enva must have made a deal with the East, and that's why when Dacre woke up, he was bent on destruction and angry with her, because she's the one that likely put him to sleep. So it's, like, it makes sense. Um, she writes back to Roman, and she asks a favor. She tells him that she met soldiers who were injured, and some may die, and that none of them regret fighting against the evil, but she asks him if he can post the letters and she promises that she'll pay him back. Um, and if he can't to just send them back through the portal, basically, yeah. and she'll keep them until she can post them. Um, she also asks if he happens to have a typewriter that looks ordinary, but has a few tweaks that makes it unique. Um, 
she mentions musical musical chimes and that the space bar gleams and she asks what is engraved on a silver plaque on the bottom and she sends that note to him and all the letters um so he gets back to her and he agrees to mail the letters and he tells her his typewriter does have some quirks and it was his nan and she gave it to him on his 10th birthday so he could become an author and he tells her the engraving says the second alouette made especially for HMA. And he says that is his nan's initials. Um, he says he'll ask his nan about it. And he asks if hers is an alouette too. And if that's like how they're connected. So like he's kind of putting it together too. Amazing. Um, she goes to like tell him about the story that she heard about the alouettes. Uh, but she has to stop because there's a siren sounding. Um, and it's nighttime, so it means that it's hounds. So she has three minutes, like you said earlier. So she hastily just, like, types out that she has to go and, like, she misspells shit, which is so not like her, and just sends, and she says she'll send more later, and she sends the letter to him. So, like, obviously he's going to be like, what the fuck is going on? I just don't understand why she even bothered to, like, finish writing the letter and sending it. Like, just pause. Press yeah. pause. And just not send anything. Yeah. It, it's... Like, she it's took... to make him worry. <laughs> I guess. She took, like, valuable time. She has three minutes to board up all the windows and, like, crouch in a dark room. So, like... Yeah. She's just like, BRB. Yeah. TTYL. <laughs> um, yeah. So... She sends that letter, then she covers the windows, and she blows out the lights, and she, like, ends up tripping on the rug as she's, like, rushing around. Um, Marisol comes to get them, and she's with Addie now, and tells them they'll go to her room, so they all get in her room, and they move a CD and, like, a CT. Why does that sound like not a word? Say, uh, I don't, I, how do I I say it in my head? A CT. Yeah. One of those fancy couch couches. in front of the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, Iris and Addie just go sit on the bed. And uh, Marisol gets a revolver and gives Iris a flashlight and tells her to shine it on the hounds if they end up inside the house. So, like, this is not going to be a restful time. No. Um. And then they blow out the light, so they're just in the dark, and Marisol is, like, standing at the foot of the bed with the gun, and Iris and Addie are in the bed. Um, They can hear the hounds outside, and it sounds like they're below the window, and they're, like, scratching on the door in the house, and there's, like, a bang, and it's just scary, obviously. Addie takes Iris's hand, and Marisol goes over and sits between them, and between them and the door so like i guess at the foot of the bed basically and it's a very long night so i guess the hounds stay there the whole night they just sit there the entire night which is wild um roman sends a message asking if she's safe and what happened and to write when she can and he's obviously super worried and he imagines the worst and He's like, how would he know if anything were to happen to her? And he wonders if, like, she's being bombed where she is. So it's not great. 
Um, he rereads her letters and he wanders the house because that is something he does. Mm-hmm. And he ends up in the kitchen and his nan is there. And she asks, like, what has him up? And he says he's waiting for a letter. And she grins, which is yeah. unusual for her, apparently. Um, but She knows what she's doing. Yeah. And she says he's putting her typewriter to use and writing Daisy Winnow's granddaughter. So, like, even if he didn't know it was Iris, he would probably figure it out at this point. Yes, right now. Um, and he, so, he basically asks about her being friends with Daisy because, obviously, he knows that Daisy is Iris's grandmother. And he's like, wasn't she a different class than you? Like, you weren't really in the same social circles. Um, but like, but can he, I just can I just say though? So like, her his grandfather is the one that built the railroad, right? Yeah. So like, presumably, his nan married into married the grandfather. Then the grandfather started the railroad, and then they became rich. So like, wasn't yes. she just sort of a normal person when she was a teenager? Yeah, I don't know. We don't really know, but this makes it seem like she must have been more upper class before she married. Sure. But yeah, interesting. Um, so yeah, he asked her about it, and she says that they were friends with Daisy because they're... Yeah, it's weird. Maybe it was his great-grandfather or something. Maybe. But she kind of says, like, like their family is upper class snobs built on new money. So it kind of makes it seem like she was that as well. Um, but it's, I don't know. Anyway, it, it doesn't really matter. But his nan um, says that that's why she and Alouette loved her so much. Um, because she was like down to earth and real and whatever. But she was a dreamer and innovative and open hearted. And she tells him the story about the three typewriters. Um, she asks then what Iris is like. And he tells her that she's a lot like his nan just said her grandmother was. Mm-hmm. Um, and her grandmother asks if the myth was for her. And he says yes. And she asks if he's going to let her slip away. And he says he doesn't have a choice. And... She, she basically says, are you going to write the story of your life or are you going to let your father do it for you? And you're like, ooh, damn, Grandma. Giving us I some. love it. But, like, yeah, also, her so that's her son. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, maybe maybe it's partly your fault that you're, he's an <laughs> asshole. Really, though? Yeah. She tells him then, like, she's 75 and the world is changing and it will become darker. So when he finds something good to hold on to it, and then she tells him to wash the dishes and, like, walks away. And I kind of forgot about this, but it's it's interesting that she said that the world is going to get darker. But, mm, yeah. yes. Foreshadowing? <laughs> um, so he goes to wash the dishes, and it's the first time he's ever washed dishes in his life. And I'm like, what the fuck? Um, 
So he washes them as best he can. And then he goes to his room and waits for a letter. He ends up sleeping on the floor because he's so worried. And when he wakes up um, at first light, he sees a letter. And she basically says she is fine in it. But she doesn't have time to write since she needs to go back to the infirmary. And she may have more letters for him this evening, basically. So Roman is relieved, but he slept on the floor all night. So he's super disheveled and he's late for work. <laughs> um, Marisol takes Iris and Addie to the garden because today they are going to plant. No, well, they're going to till the garden today and plant stuff tomorrow. Um, outside, they see gouges from like the hound's claws. And they, like, completely trampled this little garden anyway. So it's, like, unfortunate. Um, But Marisol tells them that she plants the garden for her wife, Keegan, who is currently away. And Iris, like, asks if she's a saleswoman or something. (laughs) And I don't know where she got that. (laughs) But marisol just says yeah something like that and that she should be back soon and you're like that's such a weird whatever anyway um but she tells marisol tells them then like how her and keegan met um keegan came to the inn and complimented everything but the garden she said was like in a sad state (laughs) and she actually stayed to help marisol fix it up for free And Marisol says, like, this came at a point in her life when, like, she really needed support. Like, her aunt had owned the inn and she had passed away and given it to uh, Marisol. And she was very, like, she was still grieving and lost a bit. And Keegan came at a time and, like, told amazing stories and they connected and, like, it, it was good for her. Yeah. Um, so Keegan ended up leaving after she helped with the garden. And Marisol tried not to hope. But Keegan actually came back a week later. And that was it. They were like, in love. Everything was perfect. Good times. Hmm. Um, so later that night, we kind of get like Iris and Roman... It's basically like texting. They're sending letters so fast, but it's like they're texting each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, she asks him if he would like to meet her, and he says yes, but that they're 600 kilometers away. And she says she'd fly home for a day if she had wings, but she will meet him when she's home, and she doesn't really expect to be back until the war is over. So, you know, like... You can plan a meeting, but they're very far from each other. And I was like, when are we getting them back together? Like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. But also, too, um, like, has he said that he lives in Oath? Like, yeah. I thought she was like, she didn't know that he was even in Oath. I guess because of the typewriters, she kind of guesses Assumes. he's in Oath. But, yeah, we don't really know. Yeah. she. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um... She tells him that she would like to see him and hear him and to herself thinks she would like to touch him. And I'm just like, I get it. But I'm also like, you don't know this person at all. <laughs> um, but I guess 
she kind of knows he must that he must be around the same age as her because it is also his grandparent that is the owner yeah. of the typewriter. So like, cool. Um, Unless so- it's the grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he writes her back and he says he wants the same which was not the touching part but he probably does but to see and hear her and he would do like when she gets back he'll do anything to like meet her basically whatever she wants to do he's down um can i just say though i feel like this like jumped very quickly yes do you not find that? It was, like, on his part, it's, like, maybe yeah. even a little bit more. Like, he literally he went from, yeah, he went from, I'm reading her letters so that I can get an upper hand, to, oh, I'll do anything to be, to, to do, I'll do whatever you want. Like, yeah. it just, it just came out of nowhere for me. Yeah, I agree. It is, now, I don't, I don't, dis- I just, I don't dislike it. I'm I'm here for it. I just yeah. like it just seemed like as soon as she left he was like shit I love her. Now he hasn't said that yet, but like the way he's behaving. Yeah, and he's still engaged too. Like it's not like he can do anything about it. But it's also <sighs> I kind of wanted like it's obviously a slow burn. They're nowhere near each other. But I kind of thought it would be even slower. Like, yeah, I get that they are connecting over these letters, but, like, it seems like it's not enough to fall in love with somebody. I'm like, wait. Yeah. I'm like, I need more letters of, like, telling stories and falling yes. in love. And, like, I, I guess I can see it more on his side, because, like, he spent time with her in person, and, like, they spoke at work a tiny bit, but, like... On her side to be, like, so into this stranger that she's like, I want to touch him. I'm like, that, why? How? <laughs> when did this what happen? Well, yeah. especially since they've really only been writing letters to each other for a week. Like, she's yeah. been writing him a shit ton, but he's only exactly. been writing for a week. And, like, what has he said? Like, really? He's shared with her a myth or two and then shared the story of his sister and like told her that like she's not alone yeah like that's literally it yeah i guess you can kind of see that she's like gripping onto him in her grief i guess like maybe that's where the attachment is and like he's attached to her because he actually knows who she is but yeah it's it's very quick but But, like that's not a healthy thing for her no no exactly (laughs) But, like, I can understand it if that's the reason. But, yeah, it's not It's not healthy. No. Um, and that's not really where the story goes. So, anyway. Hmm. Um, she also ends up getting a letter from an officer, and it's about Forrest. And it says that he was sorted into a company, but they don't know how, like, if he can get mail, because it's completely unreliable at the moment. So that could be why she hasn't heard from him. Um, but, like, they basically tell her what company he is currently with. Um, and, like, the commanding officer for her to write to or something like that. Yeah. So Iris is actually writing up her article about the war now. 
and how it's not what she expected. It's sirens and infirmaries and brave people, and it makes you reflect on who you are. So she's doing her job. That's good. I was worried about that. (laughs) But she is kind of doing the, like, she's writing about not what people told her, but about the people. So kind of like you were saying. Um, she stops and looks at her mother's ashes and she wonders where to spread them because, um, she hasn't done that yet. And she kind of like sorts her feelings, but she hasn't like, she hasn't seen the war and she thinks she doesn't know how to write about it. So she like goes to talk to Addie and Addie says she's struggling too. So they go for a walk through a field. There's a field nearby that is a plot point. <laughs> yeah. It it, um, it it comes back several times. Yes. <laughs> um, so they kind of chat now. And Addie asks where Iris thinks Keegan is. And Iris is like, what do you mean? Marisol said that she's a saleswoman. So clearly she's making sales. <laughs> and <laughs> Addie is just like, Uh, I think she might have lied on that. Like, I don't think that she is a saleswoman. Um, And Iris is just like, oh, I never even expected that. But, like, if she did mislead us, then it must not be something important. And they're just like, cool. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Um, God. That'll never come up, I'm sure. Never. Um, So Iris asks... Addie, if she thinks it's possible to fall in love with a stranger. And, like, we're moving fast here. Um, and Addie tells her these days she thinks anything is possible. Aww. So, that's kind of sweet. Um, that, I guess, later that day or something, Iris's, Iris messages, sorry, um, Roman, a list of all the things she knows about him. So, like, literally the the things she knows. I Like, I don't, there's, I wrote down the page number, but I don't, I'm not going to read out everything she says, but. Why is it, is it a lot? Um, oh, she does know his age. Um, not really. You slouch sometimes, you have your father's chin, your hair is perfect, somewhere between rogue and knight errant. You have a nan who is full of myths. You're Dell's older brother. You live in Oath. You're 19. She says, I think I added up your age from a previous letter. Your writing is impeccable and often makes me laugh. And then she says, things I don't know about you, your name. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not a whole lot. She doesn't know a whole lot. And I guess I am going to read it. I did read it all, so fun. Um, so she sends that. Um... And he writes back and tells her she knows the important things and that she can call him Carver and that Dell used to call him that. And he misses obviously his sister and he misses being called Carver. So he signs the letter with a C. Um, She tells him her name and he's like, yeah, makes sense because you were signing things little flower. (laughs) So it makes sense that your name is Iris. And she says, in school, people always said her name was like an I, like Iris, like 
an eyeball. Like, like in your eye, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, do and you know what I, I'm not going to When someone says iris to me, my first thought, I go to flower before I go to the eyeball. I went to flower in this book before I went to eyeball, and I was like, kind of confused when she was like saying this. I was like, oh yeah, there's an yeah. iris in your eye. <laughs> but I think also it's because they set us up that way in the beginning, like, because- yeah. Because they introduce it right away in, like, the first few pages, Iris equals flower. Yeah. Because her brother, like, says, don't worry, little flower, or, like, whatever. So, like, it's, like, in the first, so I think it's, like, set up like that on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And she then kind of explains that, like, that is why Forrest gave her that name, little flower, because people were kind of making fun of her name at school and saying that it was like an eye. Yeah. Um, and she also says like all the women in her family are named after flowers and her mother told her to be like proud of her name and basically like live up to her name. Um, I actually really like this. That, yeah, like, me too. Everyone, cause her grandmother was Daisy. I don't remember what her mother was. Aster or something? Aster, right. Yeah. yeah, which I I didn't actually know was a flower, but I guess. It oh was. yeah, it's like a little it's like a little star shape. It's really cute. Oh, cute. Mm. Yeah. So I like it too. Like I I there's so many different flower names. It's cool. You know what's bad is the first flower name, the first flower that comes to my mind and it's a terrible name for a person, but like crocus. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know why. I- but when I think of flower and name together, like if someone to say think of a flower, I wouldn't think of a crocus. But for some yeah. reason, when I think of a flower and a name put together, I think of crocus. And I'm like, it's a terrible name. My brain just went violet. <laughs> or lily. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many good ones. Rose. Like. Yeah. There are so many. <laughs> so but for some reason, I think of a crocus. Crocus. <laughs> I don't even really like them either. I'm not a big fan of crocuses. Is this flower an iris on the book? Yes. Yeah. That Thank is you. an iris. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Roman responds to her and he says he thought of iridescent first when he saw her name. Um, not a flower or an eyeball. And what does iridescent have to do with anything though? Like, is he saying he thinks she is iridescent? When, I guess when he saw Iris, he thought iridescent. I Like, I don't know. Oh, interesting. That's what he related her name to. And I'm like, when you first met her, you thought that? Because, like, you can't say. Because <laughs> he knows who she is. He knew her name all along. So I'm like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? But anyway, we don't really get any of it. Um, Iris then writes Forrest's company. And asks for any information on him or, like, an address for him so that she can write directly to him. Um, we go to Roman's point of view now, and he's thinking about how he told Iris his middle name. And he wants to tell her it's him, but, like, feels like he has to tell her face to face. He doesn't feel like he should just send a letter. Um. Because it's going to be harder for her to ignore him if she says it face to face. Right? Like, if he goes, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if he sends her a letter, then she can just stop writing him. Whereas exactly. if they are face to face, 
he could just chase her around and be like, don't you ignore me. <laughs> chase her around. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's basically thinking about this while he's at work and his father shows up Yee. and he's like, you're clearly working hard. And you're like, fuck off. We hate yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so his dad is like looking around, but Roman's like, she isn't here. <laughs> and you're like, oof. Uh, which you'd think he'd know if he has somebody following Roman, but yeah, whatever. And he actually uh, said, like, I'll stop having someone tell you after you're married. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. Um, but his father basically says that, like, he's there because there's a lunch set up for him and Miss Little at lunchtime, obviously. <laughs> and they're basically getting married in three weeks. So and soon. It is so soon. And I I just didn't know where all of this was going. I was like stressed out. I was like, how is he gonna get out of this marriage? Um, but Roman thinks of Iris's words about removing his armor, like just one piece. I think you were talking about it last week to like show vulnerability. And yeah. he thinks maybe he should like try that with Eleanor. And see if he can have a connection with her. Like, he's been so guilted into this relationship that he's like, I should probably give it a chance. Um, we go back to Iris's point of view. And Iris and Marisol are out when a lorry goes by. And Marisol starts to run after it. And Iris is just like, what the fuck is going on? But she runs after it too. And it's full of wounded soldiers and Iris wants to help, but she's kind of like rooted to the spot in shock. Cause like, obviously this is a new experience for her watching like all of the wounded people come out of the lorry and she ends up vomiting, but she makes herself watch because like, this is war. So she forces herself to watch and then she does actually make herself move and she goes over and helps a girl with a gut wound down from the lorry but there aren't enough beds so she has to lay her on the floor and she goes to get a nurse but the nurse tells her that they can't heal a wound like that and the only thing they can do is make this soldier comfortable so sad um Marisol comes over then and asks Iris to go with her to the B&B and get mattresses and linen because there aren't enough beds there. So, like, they can get all the spare beds and stuff. And they actually take the lorry and they fill it up with all of the mattresses in the B&B, even their own. And then they go back. The, Iris overhears the doctor arguing with an officer and the doctor is telling him that, like, they can't heal these soldiers. They're basically too far gone. But the officer says, like, he just wants them to have dignity in death. And they are giving that to them by, like, letting them die here instead of them having to die on the yeah. front line, basically. So, yeah. Um, the officer sees Iris then and asks if she's a war correspondent and he says he can take her to the front lines and bring her back in seven days. And Addie comes over then cause she had been there too. And they decide that they'll flip a coin to see who can, who's going to take this opportunity. And Addie ends up going. Um, 
Roman goes to his lunch with Eleanor, and it's super awkward, and Eleanor does not want to talk to him at all, and she says they can get married and live their separate lives, and, like, he's he's trying to make a connection like he said he would, but it's just she is not open to that. Yeah. She doesn't want to marry him just as yeah. much as he doesn't want to marry her. Yeah. And after three courses, he asks why they're doing this. And she says for the good of their families. And she tells him they must prepare. So, like, she is very, she's doing this for the greater good. Like, she doesn't, she's accepted it. But she, like, obviously doesn't care to connect to him or know him in any way. Um, So he, but he asks, like, prepare for what? Like, he asks if she's talking about Dacre. And, like, Dacre coming to Oath and the war coming here. And he brings up that she's helping make bombs to allow Dacre to destroy innocent people. And she says they aren't bombs and that she'll explain them when they're married. And I was like, oh, interesting. This is going to be something. And like, it kind of comes back up again, but you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's not, I don't know. I think the way they handled this situation like is very odd yeah um so she basically just goes to leave but he says that she's in love with somebody else so i guess like he's taking her refusal to even try to connect with him and the fact that she's like i'm gonna live my own separate life and so are you that like she clearly has feelings for somebody else and i'm like that's a that's a leap like, he's not wrong, but it is a leap to just make. Um, and she basically just says they'll keep separate rooms until they need an heir. And he's just like, cool, I guess. Um, and then he, she leaves, and he basically just thinks, like, this is what he deserves. He doesn't deserve to feel loved or happiness because he's the reason that Dell died. So that's not great. Um, On his way back to work, he sees people lined up for a paper. So he goes over and is interested and he ends up buying a copy. And it's the Ink Ridden Tribune. And he knows he can only skim it or he'll get fired. (laughs) Which is so wild. Like he's on Um, the street. I just don't understand how he like, like, how's the guy gonna know? Yeah, it's, it's wild. Um. But he sees the headline is The Unexpected Face of War, and it's written by Ink Ridden Iris. And he obviously reads it, and he loves the article because he loves her writing, and he's mm. so proud of her. And I just, like, I kind of love it. Like, he's not, it's it's really dumb because she's like, he only reads my writing to, like, get better than me, and it's a competition. Everything's a competition. And he's just like, oh, I'm so proud of her. She's so intelligent, and I love yeah. her writing so much. And it's just kind of funny. Um, He actually keeps the paper and hides it in his pocket, and he feels a regret starting, and he decides it's time to write his own story, like his nan said. And we're like, what's he gonna do? We Um, all know what he's gonna do. (laughs) Come on. No, we don't. Yeah, obviously. Uh, But we skip over to Iris's point of view then. 
and Iris and Marisol stay at the infirmary to set up the mattresses and to clean and prepare bodies for burial. And Marisol tells Iris that Addie will be safe and to try not to worry because Addie has gone off to the front. Um, Iris asks Marisol then if Keegan is fighting. And Marisol is surprised because she was so good at lying. <laughs> but, but Iris says her brother is fighting and she saw Marisol's panic when she saw the lorry with injured people. And she knew that like you only get that kind of panic when you're personally invested in yeah. somebody that could be injured. Um, Marisol says like she would have told them later, but she wasn't sure um, if their boss, Helena, would be okay with the correspondence being with her knowing that because like the correspondents are technically supposed to be neutral. So yeah. it, it like she didn't know if they'd be allowed to stay with her since she obviously isn't neutral. Um but like can I just say too though it's they say oh yeah they're neutral but at the same time they're literally only setting them up with Emba's like with em- they're only yeah. sending them to the front lines on Emba's side. They're not. They're not trying to make contact. They're only make make contact with Dacre's soldiers. They're only seeing the Emba's Emba's hurt warriors. Like, yeah. It just it seems like yeah they're supposed to be neutral, but are they neutral? Yeah, it's impossible to be neutral when you're in a town that is being terrorized by Dacre. Obviously, you're not going to support him. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, yeah. Um, Marisol tells her, though, that Keegan went in the beginning and has been gone for seven months, and she's written Marisol, but not often. And Iris tells her then, like, she hasn't heard from her brother at all. So it's kind of sad. And, like, if Keegan can write to Marisol, why can't her brother write to her? So you're like, Ey. What's going on um, with her brother? Yeah. It is definitely interesting. So Iris, later when she's back home, writes to Roman about how she isn't sure she can do this. She doesn't know if she's brave or strong enough, and her words feel inadequate. And it, I feel like today was a real turning point for her, because yeah. it's the first time that she's actually seen the injured soldiers, and actually, like, she's seen injured soldiers before, obviously, but, like, People died today, and she couldn't do anything about it, and she had to, like, watch them die, basically. And then it's it's really obviously going to be hard. But she does confide this to Roman, and she actually signs off her letter, Love, Iris. Ugh. And I was like, woo! <laughs> Wild. Um, yeah. He writes her back and says that she is strong and the bravest person he knows and to keep writing and she'll find the words and they're already like within her and signs off yours C. So they're very attached to each other. Um, Iris comes back to the infirmary after curfew and it's, I, I think it's a few days later. It has yeah. to be, because Marisol tells her that Addie is back, so it must be seven days later. Um, so Iris goes to uh, Addie's room, 
and they sit out on the roof and Iris asks how the front was and Addie says it was grueling and she does want to talk about it but not right now and then she hands Iris binoculars and teaches her to see the stars and she tells her her mother is an astronomy professor and they kind of just like sit in silence and look at the stars together it's kind of a nice moment yeah um Addie tells Iris that she has a secret and she's debating sharing it and Iris tells her that she has one too so they decide to trade their secrets um Iris tells her about her typewriter and how it's connected to a boy and that she's basically falling for the boy. <laughs> and Addie says that that's like something out of a novel, which is just kind of funny. I love when authors like <laughs> break the fourth, break the fourth wall. wall. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, obviously it is like something out of a novel. Huh. Um so Addie tells her secret then. She says she learned to play violin and thought she could earn a place in the symphony until the war started and the fear of Enva recruiting people was so big that, like, the constable literally came around to all the houses and, like, collected their instruments and took them so that nobody could play anymore. Um, but she says her father hid one violin. And she used to play it in the basement while the world was loud during the day. And only her and her father knew she was playing it. Yeah. And she used to be so angry at Enva for interrupting her life and, like, taking that dream away. Because, like, she blamed Enva for, obviously, the music stopping. Um, and she took this job to know the truth about the war. And after going to the front, she understands now. And Iris says, like, understands what? And she says she understands why Enva sang to their people. Um, and that, like, the people in the West were being trampled and needed them. And it would already be over without, like, them having come help, like, the people that Enva sang to. Um... Iris asks if she thinks they'll lose, and Addie says they need people to know the truth, and Iris says they'll write it, and they'll tell the people about the truth. So, like, they kind of, like, obviously have a bonding moment, and, like, it's sweet, and they're, it, it kind of, like, Roman helped her with his letter to feel like she belonged there, but, like, this is really giving them both, like, the purpose they need to continue there. Yeah. Um, and and it's also bringing them closer together as, like, as friends. Yeah. And I, I like that. I like that she has a friend. Yeah. Um, well, like, she literally has had nobody. And we don't know if she had any friends when she was at school. But, like, it's literally just been her brother. And I feel like having a tenuous tie to someone other than her mystery uh like i'll say carver mm -hmm. aka roman having this tied to her brother like it's nice for her to have somebody present yeah right exactly yeah um roman we go to his point of view now and he writes to iris and tells her he has good and bad news and he says the good news is he has a new myth about enva's heart 
and he says it was fashioned by the mother goddess who loved to hear her sing and it was made from dragon bone harpy hair and it was held together by the wind and it was only for her use and i was like this has to mean something more but this is when i started to think oh i wonder if somebody else is going to use the harp or if like this is when i literally was like is Iris going to be Enba? Like, is she yes. going to have to use the harp? Like, yes. this was kind of when... Because I was like, why is this... They important. Don't, they're not going to give us something if it's not important. So, like, obviously the harp is going to come up. And I was like, I bet Iris is going to play it to put Dacre to sleep or something. So, spoiler alert, that doesn't happen in this book. <laughs> So, like, I'm assuming something's going to happen with the harp in the next book. But, like, I was like, why is this said? So, anyway. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, Then he tells her the bad news is he will be away for he doesn't know how long and he won't be able to write. But he will think of her and wants her to stay safe and well. Iris Mm. thanks him for the myth and asks if if he's leaving Oath, but he doesn't reply. And that is where we end for this week. But the yeah. fact that next week she isn't immediately like, oh, obviously. Right? I know. It's just so, like, ugh, come on. Yeah. So, yeah. It's uh, it's a good place to stop. Bit of suspense-ish. Yeah. That's basically it for this week. Um, if you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on anything you heard in any of our episodes, or if you have any book suggestions, please reach out to us by email at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at coffeeandcoread and coffee.coread on TikTok. Uh, yeah, so next re- next week, we will be reading chapters 25 to 35. Uh, so, uh, make sure to follow along, and if you're enjoying our chats, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you get our content. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next page.